as a way to reset, even going from announcements to preaching in this space, if you guys would sit with me in a moment of prayer, um, I, just wanted, I just want to still my own heart before the Lord, um, before I start preaching from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, yeah, so sit with me before um, the Lord here. Father, the desire here is, is that we would be a people that know you. And, and not, that, not to be a people that just have a rich doctrinal understanding, but that we would have a, a deep, intimate experience with you. Um, that, that what we study is, is a word that is transforming us. Um, Father, I, I hope that was taking place in my own life is is that anything that, that flows out of my mouth would be out of an overflow of, of an experience with you. Jesus, would, would we encounter your word in a way that, um, that causes us to know you more, that, that, that causes us to, to sit under the teaching of your spirit, um, Father, I pray that your people would hear a word from you today, that your spirit is the one that is bringing assurance, that your spirit is the one that is, is pastoring us this morning. Um, yeah, so we commit all these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, reading verses 3 through 14, you'll see... Um, it all color-coded coming on, on the screen there. It says this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glorious grace. As we've looked at this sentence over the past three weeks, the, what we've talked about is that this, in the original Greek language, is one long sentence. It's one long sentence that's over 200 words long, and one of the things that you'll notice about it is that it is, it is repetitive in nature, um, that there are a lot of things that even feel a bit redundant as Paul has this one long run-on 
uh, census. And we've talked about that there, are, that there are three movements that are taking place here. And the first movement causes us to bring praise and glory to the Father. And, and then there's the second movement, which we have, have reflected on being the central movement, the focal point of, of his sentence, in which it causes us to praise the Son for the work of redemption that he's not only doing in our lives, but in the cosmos. And then the third movement um, that we're going to be talking about today is about uh, the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. And it causes, that third movement causes us to erupt in praise for, for the way that the Holy Spirit is assuring our lives of, of the way he's with us now and the things that are to come. As we discuss this third movement, what I want to first do is, is talk to you a little bit about barbecue protocol if I could. Barbecue protocol. Listen, here's, here's how it plays out. If you are hosting people for a barbecue and you are standing next to your grill and there are friends that are standing there with you as you are grilling and the meat is almost done, there is an unwritten rule of what must take place. And the moment that I say this unwritten rule, you're immediately going to connect with it and go, yes, I know that unwritten rule. Here's, here's what, what happens. You, you first grab your tongs, and for some reason, you have to click them twice, right, just to make sure that your tongs are working. I, it's, it's just part of, of the barbecue protocol. You click your tongs, and you go, okay, yes, the tongs are working, and you open up your grill, and you take a little sample of the meat, right? And you take that little sample of the meat and you hand it to your friends. And you say, try this. And they take that meat. And, and then there's, there's two ways that go about it. That you have, and honestly, you have two kinds of friends. You have one friend that will first blow on the meat. And then eat it. And then you have your other friend that just grabs the meat and throws it in their mouth and does... And then consumes the food right? Barbecue protocol, and then they, they, they have to respond with a, a, a word of encouragement or excitement that says something along the lines of, like, yeah, that'll do, right? And, and, and what you're establishing there in that moment is, is anticipation, you in that space are, are showing a level of joy for what is to come. And the way that, that you get your friends to anticipate and expect a great feast is by them getting a foretaste of it right then and there. And, and listen, I, I told this barbecue protocol to my boys around the dinner table this week because I was reflecting, I was just finished up with sermon prep and, and I told them about this, this example of the word foretaste and what that meant and, and they were really intrigued by that word and uh, Lurce has been out of town um, this weekend, she's been at a conference and, and on Friday night I told them we would have a movie night together and we bought some ice cream from Vaughn's 
And so halfway through the movie, I pressed pause. We went to the kitchen. We pulled the, the, the cartons of ice cream out of, of the freezer, and they got it set up. And before they served themselves a big old scoop of ice cream, they first took a little piece, and they looked at me and said, we have to have a foretaste. <laughs> We've got to celebrate what's to come. We've got to celebrate what's to come. Again, let's recap the, the, the first two weeks that, that we've been in here, because it, it'll make sense uh, of why we want these, these recaps to be on your mind. Um, if you go to that next slide, what, you'll, what we talked about is the first movement is that we're chosen by the Father, that he chose us. And as we reflected on that, we reflected on the fact that a lot of times that can create turmoil and tension in our hearts, right? Is that, what does it mean that he chose us, that he, he foreknew us? And there's this biblical doctrine called the doctrine of election, that did God choose some people and, and not choose other people? And, uh, and we talked about from um, this quote from Tim Mackey, if you bring that up on the screen, that, that when we talk about election, the biblical idea of election is that God chooses one out of the many so that through the one, he can restore his blessing back to the many, right? So this idea that we're chosen by the Father is this assurance that God is, is choosing a people so that he can reestablish blessing back to all people through that choosing. And then the next week that we talked about that the redemption that happens through the Son, Right? You notice in that next movement that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. And if you bring it up on the, the next uh, the quote here um, from Peter Thomas O'Brien, what we talked about isn't just happening, redemption isn't just happening in our own individual corner of the world, but we talked about the fact that this redemption is happening around the universe. Right? It's this understanding that in Jesus, heaven and earth are being reunited together. So here's this quote that, that summarizes it. Christ is the one in whom God cho chooses to sum up the cosmos, the one in whom he restores harmony to the universe. The mystery which God has graciously made known refers to the summing up and bringing together of the fragmented and alienated elements all things. He's bringing together all things in Christ. And that's the focal point. Everything is being brought together in Jesus. In him, we have redemption. That is a, a like, just mind-blowing statement that's taking place. And this, this, this morning, we're talking about the inheritance of the Spirit. But there's something that I want you to notice that Paul does here. If you go forward, actually, one more slide, you'll see that he then starts verse 13 by saying, and you also were included. And when you get to verse 13, it should have kind of this pausing effect. It should have this impact where you stop and you reevaluate everything that you just read beforehand. This morning, what's actually happening is we're just kind of throwing a wrench into here, and we're saying, hold up, we need to just reevaluate, reassess everything that we talked about in the previous weeks. And, and here's why, is what you realize as you get to verse 13, that Paul has been up to something in the previous verses. And if you go to the next slide, what you'll notice highlighted here in, in 
as kind of a summary way of looking at verses 3 through 12, you'll, you'll notice that Paul all of a sudden makes a distinction where, where he's first writing and he's saying, hey, in God we were chosen, uh, we have redemption, he's made known to us the mystery of his will, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. And then he says, and then you also, you stop and you realize, oh, wait a minute, was Paul, was Paul talking about all of us in those first handful of verses? And what you realize as you look at this is that verses 3 through, through uh, 12, he is doing this incredible summary of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. That, that first section that, that's listed there all of a sudden you realize has all of this allegory and all of this connection to the Hebrew Scriptures, where all of a sudden you look back at it and, and, you, and you see it highlighted on the screen. He chose us. And you realize there in that space he's talking about how God has chosen Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right, that God has chosen the people of Israel and then you notice that he's then talking, he has all this allusion and this connection to the stories of Passover and exile, that these words are lifted right out of the Old Testament where he talks about that God did a work of redemption in the people of Israel by taking them out of Egypt and bringing them into a promised land. And then by including the forgiveness of sins, you realize that he's connecting it to exile and how people were, were taken from their land because they, they rebelled against God and, and, and they, then they turned away from the promises and the blessings that he had given to them. And so now, because now these two ideas are merged together, we have, we have redemption and we, and we have forgiveness of sins. And he's talking again about Passover and exile there. And then, he, and then he says, and he made known to us the mystery of will to bring together all things in heaven and earth. And we reflected on a lot on this last week, where this is all about the idea of, of like that when Eden was created, it was this temple imagery that God was, was dwelling there in the Garden of Eden, and it was there that heaven and earth were meeting together. And we talked about that then later on, as you see the story of Israel going forward, that it's the story of God tabernacling amongst them and a temple being raised amongst them. And so there you see that Paul's alluding to that space, that tabernacling that's taking place. He says, and then we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. Who's the we who were putting their first who were first putting their hope in Christ, Jesus did first come for Israel. He shows up on the scene and he says, right, like, I've, I've come for Israel. And, and so it's understanding that God is being faithful to the people that he established a covenant with. And this isn't to alienate us. This isn't to cause us to go, okay, well, I guess that isn't for me, and you just close your Bible and move along, right? But it's meant to be a space in which we stop and we realize God is faithful to his people. He is not going to relent on pursuing them. And let me go on a, another little quick tangent here. You could bring it on the screen. And I think that it's so important that we stop and we acknowledge that that's what Paul is doing because it teaches us how to read Scripture. One of my goals for us is that we do have a regular engagement with the Word of God. 
But I, but I think that one of the things that happens is that we often will just open it up and say, what is God's word to me? And, and the danger in doing that is that you're only going to get a piece of what God is doing for you because you're included in a bigger picture. And when we read Scripture this way, what we first do is we first read Scripture through the lens of the original audience. What is God saying to the people that this word was first given to? Paul wrote this letter, and he sent it to a specific people. And then we get to glean from that. And, and, and the benefit of this is, one, it helps us to read the Bible better. Because what, what it allows us to do is it gives us a context. It gives us a realization that God is doing something amidst a people, and we get to see all the nuances and all the history and all the richness behind what he's doing amongst a specific people. We get a context. And it helps us, speaking of context, it helps us not to just misapply Scripture. It helps us to not just grab something and say, oop, that's what it means. We have to first stop and say, okay, what did it say to the original audience? Okay, that's going to help us understand it. And the next thing that it's going to do is it's going to give us compassion. It's going to help us to realize that we care about God speaking to people that are not us. That we care that God is caring for a nation. We care that, that he is, is coming and he's showing his faithfulness to people that have a different skin tone than us, that are living in a different nation than us. It suddenly creates this compassion where all of a sudden, man, we want God to show up on behalf of other people. And that we get to celebrate a, a bigger picture of God in that way. We get to see him working amongst the nations. And then we get this cosmic picture of Christ we get an understanding that Jesus is playing in a thousand locations. He is up to something good around the world. And this is where it gets really good for us in this room. Because Paul does this incredible summary of what's happening in the people of Israel, and then in verse 13, he says this. If you could bring it up on the screen and you also were included. All of the faithfulness that you see God expressing to the people of Israel, all of the blessings and all the promises that he's given to Abraham and his descendants, are you disconnected from that? No. You are included in that. And so you get to, you get to observe everything that God is doing in the nation of Israel amongst, amongst his chosen people, you get to celebrate his faithfulness in that. And then as you see and get a good picture of that, then you get to stop and the Holy Spirit says to you, come on and join the party. Come and be a part of this. All those promises are for you as well. And so the, what we get introduced to here in verse 13 is this dynamic understanding of what the Holy Spirit is doing amongst his people. The Holy Spirit is giving his people assurance. You belong. You belong. You're part of this. 
And so the work of the Holy Spirit is that he's going to give us assurance. You belong to the Father. He's your Abba too. Let there be a confidence in your hearts. Let there be an assurance within you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. If you sin like the nation of Israel sinned, and you find yourself in a place of exile, in a place of darkness, in a place of desperation, would you look at the story of Israel and see how God did not relent in his love and he continued to pursue them? Guess what? You belong to that father too. He's also your father. And then there's also this assurance to us, you belong because of Jesus. And it isn't because you're going to start making the right choices. It isn't because all of a sudden now you're going to be a better person that no longer makes mistakes. It's not going to be because, like, you no longer struggle with anger. It's no longer because, like, oh, man, you're going to be a perfect parent and you're never going to erupt with impatience towards your kids. No, it's not based on any of that. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is coming before you and saying, listen, it's because of the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is giving us assurance. Jesus is a far better Savior than you are a sinner. You belong because of him. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on his work. And then the other dynamic thing that's happening here is that the Holy Spirit is pointing our hearts towards one another. You belong to the church. You're a part of the people of God. You belong to one another. And as as we reflected on last week, right, the central movement... The central point here is that Jesus is bringing redemption to all things in heaven and on earth. Everything is being unified in him. And right after Paul reflects on the fact that everything is being unified in Jesus, he transitions to say, and you're also included. And what is he doing in this moment is that he's teaching the church that one of the primary ways in which God is bringing all of things together and unifying all things is amongst his people. Listen now. You, church, are the foretaste to the world of what it looks like for heaven and earth to be unified under Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing, is that he's teaching us that we are to be a people that embody what it looks like for Jesus to bring unity to all things. And Paul writes to this small group in the corner of the Roman Empire and says, you seemingly insignificant people, no, you are the epicenter of God uniting heaven and earth together. You are where that is being seen. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is giving us assurance. You're a part of that. You're a part of this new people in which Jesus is unifying all things. And that is meant to completely reshape how we encounter one another 
in our points of disagreement and disappointment. That completely reshapes how we engage with one another because what we realize with the work that the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us is that we are the people that are embodying what it looks like for Jesus to bring unity. You're the epicenter. You're the central point of all that happening. And not only, listen, we're experiencing that and we're experiencing, we're experiencing it under the context of God giving us himself. He's saying, listen, I'm, I will be your promise. I'll be your inheritance. Let me bring you where, where Paul goes next in this, um, in this statement here. The Holy Spirit is our assurance, and he's assuring us of assuring us of what is to come. Paul writes this in verse 14, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And there's a, can I, I'm going to nerd out on, on scripture with you for, for a bit longer here. Because uh, there's a fun ambiguity, at least this, this is my uh, what I consider fun in life. Uh, there's this fun ambiguity that's taking place in, in the original language that Paul's writing here. Because if you notice the way that verse, um, that it's translated in, in the NIV, it says, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I'm going to bring my phone out to you, and I'm going to read to you a handful of different translations as, as biblical uh, scholars and people that translate scripture are trying to figure out what Paul is saying here. Because in the New King James translation, it says, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And it doesn't say the redemption of those who are God's possession. It's much more just kind of ambiguous. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is the purchased possession? The new, uh, the NET, it says, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession. So now it's God's possession that's being talked about there. Um, the New Living Translation, it says that the Spirit is a God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased, to be, purchased us to be his own people. So now all of a sudden, this translation is that the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us a possession um, and then the New American Standard, I could keep on going over like a hundred different translations, but the Holy Spirit of promise who is a first installment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession. And so I brought up um, the Bible Project. They did a translation of this. Um, Tim Mackey, I think, was the one behind this, and he, he translates it this way. The Holy Spirit, who is the first installment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession. And it's just kind of left out there like that. That the Holy Spirit is, is a deposit, a guarantee to us, a first installment of the possession. And, and what you realize this, it's, it, it like makes your brain kind of hurt. If you go to the next slide, all in one breath, Paul is saying, we are God's possession. We belong to him. And the Holy Spirit is is. is affirming that to us, assuring us of that. 
He's also saying in that same breath that God is our possession, that the Holy Spirit is the first installment of that which is to come. So God is saying, listen, you have me, right? Like the Holy Spirit now is, is and, and that seems, it's so humbling to say that, that we have the Holy Spirit, but it's this, it's this assurance to God's people, like God is, is yours. You are his people and he is your God. And in all in one breath, Paul is also telling us we possess a taste now of the future redemption of heaven and earth coming together. And we we possess that today. It It is this deep statement that's given to us by Paul that is so multi-layered of teaching us. You're God's possession. He holds you in the palm of his hand. You will not be snatched away from him. And it's also this promise, you have the Holy Spirit with you now. And you possess that future day when God will make everything right, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more suffering, where evil will be eradicated, you get to experience the comfort of that through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit with you today. And listen, when you read through Paul's letters, what you'll discover is that this is a man that, is, that intimately knows suffering. He is writing this letter to the church from a prison. He knows, he knows firsthand the persecution of the church. Because he was one of the people that was persecuting the church before he started following Jesus. And he knows firsthand what it is to be beaten and thrown in prison for the name of Jesus. When you read through Paul's pastoral letters to the churches, you will realize that he knows very well the suffering of the church. He knows what it is for for people to be broken. He knows what it is for a people to be fragmented and fighting against one another. He knows what it is for for the people that he's pastoring that have been demon-possessed, that have been rejected by society, who have been slaves, who have been overwhelmed by poverty. He he, he knows the, 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 the terribly destructive decisions that people in the church have made. And, and yet he constantly writes with a word of hope and joy. And, and for Paul, there is nothing more every day, this is how it matters than, than what he's saying here about how the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is with you, bringing you assurance in every space of your life. So if you're if you walking through rejection, you're walking through persecution, 
if you're walking through the consequences of terrible decisions, if, if you are walking through fragmented relationships, if you are walking through a space in life where you have no idea what the next right choice is meant to be, if you're struggling with, with embodying things like anger and hate and hostility, if, if, you, if you have... Have, have been victimized by people, if you have faced injustice, if I mean, you just go through the gamut of experiences and what Paul is constantly uh, affirming and, and encouraging the church in is God is with you now. And the hope of his Holy Spirit dwelling within you will give you a taste of that future day where he will fully eradicate all of that. And so that's why you consistently see written by the church words like he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And and these promises that are given to us like greater is he who is at work within us than he who is at work in the world around us. Because what the church has, has, has experienced is that God has strengthened them in their inner being, that they have experienced the depths of God's joy and peace amidst the, the, the wildest, most complex, and darkest spaces around them. God has been their source of strength. And church... This is the picture. The Holy Spirit lives with us. God personally dwells with us. And it's like he opens up the barbecue lid, clicks the tongs twice, (laughs) grabs a little piece, and he gives us himself. But he also tells us the best is yet to come. We get a foretaste now. And if we learn what it is to be be still and attentive to his presence, we will realize that he can give us a peace and a confidence now, but also create this hunger and this anticipation for what is to come. And that's why when you look at the very closing words of Scripture, this is what it says. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And this is the response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the statement right after that is, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. In the closing of our word, the word given to us, has this two-track kind of encouragement to us. We cry out that God would continue to bring heaven to earth. We cry out and say, Jesus, we need to see you arrive and we're longing for you to show up. But we also have this encouragement. The grace of the Lord Jesus is with you. And so we wait for him to come. And we're, we're comforted by him already here. And that's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us. 
Mike, if you would come back up. Church, let me pray this over you, if you would stand with me. Before I read this, just a little housekeeping thing. Sorry that I'm going to do this. Karina, would you let them know that the, the crew that we're getting out a little bit earlier than 1130? Thanks. I want to make sure that your kids are where they should be. <laughs> but let me read this to you. Paul looks at all of this, and then he prays this over the church. For this reason, you have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. He's comforting you now. And he's giving you confidence and appetite for what is to come. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Church, let's enter into praise and sing this together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's sing it again. Sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy 